It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Bert Martinez here. Thank you for joining us here on Money for Lunch. It is always a thrill, and I'm always grateful because you guys have made our show one of the top-ranking shows, uh, approximately 700,000 downloads every month. Thank you so much. One of the very first shows to be, uh, I think we were the first independent show to be on iHeartRadio, again, because of your support. Thank you so much. And now we have been working on a special that will be airing on Netflix. So stand by for more details on that. We were just uh, doing an episode in beautiful Las Vegas, uh, interviewing some key people there. So anyway, thank you so much. Let's start the show with a quote of the day. There are no secrets to success. It is a result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Colin Powell. Real quick. My producer just reminded me, if you haven't gotten my free book, you can buy it on Amazon for $20, or you can just go to dominatingyourmind.com, dominatingyourmind.com, get the book for free. You pay a little shipping, a little handling. It's all yours, dominatingyourmind.com. Crush your fears, destroy your doubts so you can be unstoppable, dominatingyourmind.com. All right, let's get the party started. On the show today, Terry Lammers. Terry Lammers, certified valuation analyst and co-founder, managing member of Innovative Business Advisors. He was president and owner of Tri-County Petroleum for 20 plus years before joining Regions Bank as VP of Commercial Banking after selling his business in 2010. Armed with his vast financial expertise, and decades of hands-on business leadership, Terry now works with his team on innovative business advisors to guide current business owners looking to sell their enterprise as well as prospective buyers. Terry Lammers, welcome to Money for Lunch. Hey, Bird. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, uh, I'm excited to have you here. I think this is, uh, this is an area that a lot of people are surprised about. And what I mean by that is there, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, there seems to be a lot of people that never think about selling their business, right? They have no exit strategy. You know, hey, we're going we're gonna to grow this business. It's going to take care of our family and my kids are going to take it over and life is going to be great. But they never really think about the business, the valuation of the business, how to exit the business in case the kids don't take it over. Am I right or am I wrong on this? Uh, you're exactly right. And I think the most compelling word you said that in that whole statement, prized. Um, <laughs> I, call it the, I call it the ostrich syndrome. They don't want to think about it, so they stick their head in the sand. And finally that day comes, you know, finally that day is here. And uh, it's very, and, and a lot of times it's just very sad because there is a lot of surprises. And a lot of times those surprises aren't good. No, you know what? And, and, this became very apparent to me. Uh, my brother, who had built his business, and he had uh, received an offer to buy uh, to buy his business for fifteen million bucks, 
and after uh, you know taxes and some and and paying off some some key players and stuff like that, I think he would have netted like I want to say three or five million bucks, right? And uh, which is by you know which is a good chunk of money, especially at that I, I believe at that point in his life he was forty something. So it would have been nice, and, and I asked him, well, what are you going to do with the money? What, is, what are you going to do after you get the money? You know, why are you going to sell the business to do what's next? Are you, going to, are you going to travel? Are you going to open another business? What would be, you know, what are you going to do with the money? And he had no answer. Uh, he had no clear answer. He didn't know. And ultimately, he passed on selling his company because he didn't know what he was going to do next, which I thought was kind of interesting to watch this, you know, uh, I guess, open up the way it did. And I think, uh, again, it, it's going to surprise a lot of people, but five million bucks is a lot of money, but not if you don't know what you're going to do with it. You're absolutely right. And I'm laughing because I went through a lot of the things that your brother did. And, but I actually ended up selling my business. So the day you sell the business, and then I had to work for that company for six months. But in that time, you're still pretty busy. But at the end of six months, you're looking at your phone. It's like, what happened to my phone? It doesn't ring anymore. And then uh, hanging around the house, watching Oprah or no, Today Show in the morning and uh, prices Right at noon and Oprah in the afternoon. And after about three months, my wife looks at me like, you're going to get a job. You're not hanging around the house all day long. <laughs> but yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do with myself. And, and I just, I didn't give it a clue. So there's, there's a process to get through it. It's not as difficult as you would think. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, 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 as you said, it's a process. And I think people need to think about that. And I think this is also the difference between quote, an, a real entrepreneur that, builds a business, sells a business, and moves on to the next project. That, to me, is a real entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to a business owner who, I have this business, I've built it up, it's a great business, but it's also my livelihood. I mean, it's, it's what gets me up in the morning and keeps me moving, and, and, uh, and it's a slightly different mindset. You know, it is a little bit of a different mindset, and I would say at the beginning, I was a business owner, and I worked with my dad. We had a family business, and uh, we built a business from when I came back. I mean, I grew up with it, but when I came back in 1991, we was only at like $750,000 a year in sales. Um, when I came back, it was me, my mom, and my dad, and I jokingly say we, we had two trucks, and it was a good day if they both started. So through a series of 11 acquisitions, you know, we built it up to 40 $2 million a year in sales, but in, I sold the company in 2010, but in 2006, my dad had a heart attack, and uh, that really just, he, thankfully, he survived, but he had to leave the business, and that really put a different spin on it. I mean, we were selling wholesale fuel and lubricants, uh, and that was back, if you remember, when gasoline was $4 a gallon, and I think crude was around 150 and it didn't make you a really well-liked person around. Uh, so, you know, it was like owning a mean baby. So I had it valued and, um, we, you know, came up with a number. But then you talk about – so some of the things I didn't do is I didn't talk to a financial advisor. I didn't talk to my CPA because he was a, a big customer. And 
at the end of the day, you know, I did fine, but it didn't do near as good as what I thought it was going to do. So that's really why I have a passion for doing what I do now to help these business owners, um, you know, get to their exit and develop their exit plan and make sure they can carry out what their plans are for retirement if they have them. Sure, sure. All right, so let's dive into this. Uh, in your opinion, what's a great question for an interested buyer to ask a current business owner? Well, what's your plan? So are you, are you approaching that from the aspect of he's a potential buyer, he's looking at buying this business. I used to call that planting the seed. And mm. it, it made a couple of years, it's funny, I have a coaching client and we talked about this this morning. You know, if you're going to buy a company that isn't for sale right now, but you look at the owner and you're like, well, he's in his 60s, you know, you got to ask, what's the plan? I got another company I'm working with right now, I'm playing intermediary on. So, I'm, you know, buyer wants to buy, seller wants to sell, but they don't know how to go through the process. And these were two key employees of the company that approached the owner and said, what's your plan? We would be interested in owning part of this company. And the owner came to me and said, what do you think I ought to do? And it's a construction company. I said, this is perfect. You own a construction company. These things are hard to sell anyway. So it's a perfect exit strategy for them. And we're actually working through that right now. Yeah. I love the whole idea of planting seeds because how many of us can look back at a conversation where a seed was planted. You weren't thinking about doing this or that. And all of a sudden somebody says, you know, somebody planted the seed. Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it was a, a birthday idea. Maybe it was, uh, you know, that some radical. Girl that you never asked out. Right. <laughs> it, 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 whatever it is, we've all experienced that. And all of a sudden that seed starts to germinate, right? It starts to grow. And all of a sudden yeah. you go, that's not a bad idea. I, pr I probably should do that. But I love yeah. this and idea it doesn't always, of, go ahead. And it doesn't, you know, that first conversation is awkward, or it can be, but it doesn't, the conversation doesn't start off with, you know, hey, Bert, can I buy your business? It's, hey, Bert, my name's Terry Lammers. Um, just thought I'd, I never had the opportunity to meet you personally. I just wanted to stop by and introduce myself, and if there's ever a chance that we can work together, that'd be great. And a lot of times the first thing you get is, you know, you're going to surprise the person a little bit. And you'll probably get a little bit of stuttering and a, okay, nice to meet you. But then the second time you talk to them, you know, just say, we're going to stop by and say hi again. The response warm, typically will warm up a little bit and say, hey, well, thanks for stopping by. Good to see you again. And maybe by the third time they're calling you and say, hey, maybe we ought to have that cup of coffee. Yeah. I have a client. Uh, he's a DWI attorney in Houston, Texas. And his whole thing is, you need me to say, put my number in your, you know, put, put my number in your cell phone, in your friend's cell phone, write my number down. He's all about planting the seeds. He says you may never, you may never need me, but if you do, if you don't have my number, it's too late. So put it in your. Yes, it does. Um, it really does. Uh, I can even go back to. Uh, opportunities where companies sold that I wish I would have went back to planted the seed because I would have really liked to have owned that company. Terry, what are some non-financial factors to consider when buying a company? Bert, that's a great thing to bring up because 
that can often determine whether a company has value or whether it's just flatly unsellable. Uh, one of the ones that I point to all the time is the hub and spoke. So are you, as the owner of the company, the hub? You know, you're thinking of a wheel, and the spokes would be all to do all the employees, the customers, the suppliers. Do they all come to you? And in that situation, if I take you out of that company, who's going to run it? Because oftentimes right. a person buying your company isn't buying it so they can run the company. They're they're buying it for this thing to continue to build, ca- you know, cash flow without somebody there. So it's really important to have a team of people there that if I take you out of that company, that company still operates just fine. There's another yeah. one that I, I, I like to, to talk about often, and that is what we call the Switzerland structure. This is coming from uh, – the value builder system that we use as a platform for coaching some of this non-financial stuff. So the Switzerland structured, Switzerland was a very independent country, correct? So yes. is your company independent of anyone employee, anyone customer, or anyone supplier? So you look at my company, for example, we had a lubricants blending contract with mobile. Well, just because you buy my company doesn't mean you're going to get that contract for mobile. Mobile has to determine that. And in fact, mm. the company that bought my company did not get that contract, but luckily they didn't need it. Or I like to tell the story of another customer that I had uh, while I owned the oil company it was a large trucking company, probably over 50 trucks on the road. Uh, they delivered all the milk for a dairy in town. Well, guess how many customers they had? One. One customer. Well, you know, how sellable a company is that? If you don't have a really I, tight relationship with that customer, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Yeah. If you have one customer, that's not a business. That is, uh, that is not a business, uh, at least not in my opinion, because at any given time, that one customer can disappear. You're done. So I don't know yeah. what you call that, but uh, maybe that's called a hobby. Dangerous. Maybe it's, it's what? Well, it, it, you call it dangerous. And actually what you call it yes. is customer concentration. You know, so if you're the buyer, that's one of the things you really want to look at, and that should definitely be one of your due diligence questions, is to see an accounts receivable list and see, you know, where that company's sales are. You know, most companies apply, you know, you heard the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the income comes from 20% of the customer. Well, how sticky are those 20% of the customers? Um, Another another non-financial thing that, that is probably one of the most key non-financial things is recurring revenue. Does you, so I told the story about the construction company, right? They are harder to sell because you're always working yourself out of a job. You know, whether it's a building or a house or whatever, you build it, and I got to go find another one to build. Uh, it's very interesting that, like, insurance companies, accounting firms, uh, my fuel business was one. You know, farmers were going to farm every year. People are going to get their taxes done every year. People have to have insurance. So those those companies will definitely sell for a higher multiple than companies that do not have recurring revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some great ideas. Uh, because if you're looking for something that's a little bit more automated, recurring income is going to be crucial. Absolutely. If you are, you know, and again, I love the whole idea of looking at that customer base. You have one or two big customers. That's all you have. That is just, it's not a duplicatable business. Uh, it's just, yeah, you know, you it's know, no different. I got burnt on that myself. I bought, 
I bought an oil company, one of the the 11 that I bought, and I needed this company for their bulk oil facility. So that's something to think about if you're a business owner. Growing by acquisition is just a fantastic way to grow the business. But this company I, I acquired, they sold a large portion of their lubricants to a mine. And somebody brought it up to me, what if the mine closes? It's like, the mine will never close. It's been open for years, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> years after I bought it, the mine closed. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah. But, you know, in that, in that situation, I needed their facilities as much as I needed their customers. So it was still a good acquisition, but but believe me, I mean, that that is something that is uh, very important to look at when you're acquiring a company. No, absolutely. That's crazy. Uh, all right, so so let me ask you this. Let's say that somebody stumbles across a business. It's currently uh, profitable. It's cash flowing. It's it's a nice business, but they only have one customer or two customers. Do you, you know, does that automatically warrant a massive discount? Will you look at this and say, hey, I'm not touching it? What what is your kind of uh, strategy or take yeah. on something like this? Well, I think in situations like that, so there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, right? So yeah. um, there is a way to get this done. But uh, if I was to be buying this business, uh, I would want to look at, you know, obviously the long-term uh, contract that's in place or hopefully the long-term contract in place. What's the financial health of the company that that business is coming from? But as far as you buying the business, you know, even a bank is going to get nervous on that one. Uh, you're probably looking at an earnout situation. So, you know, you're going to pay for that business over a period of time, uh, and not, you know, the have the proverbial closing at the at the boardroom table, and it's all said and done. I mean, if that's what a person is going to want, then yeah, it's going to sell for a heck of a discount. I just can't see that that would be a scenario where you come in and write one check and it's all done. Yeah. So and, I, and yeah. I've actually bought I've, I've I've had two companies that I purchased like that. So I could give you you know another example. One of them was a company. Um, it was the fastest company I ever bought. I bought it in three days. I found out on a Wednesday that they was they was closing the doors on Friday. So I gave the owner a call. It actually wasn't the owner. The owner the owner passed away, and it, a, a niece tried to run it, and she started losing money uh, terribly. So her brother, which was the nephew, came in and they was just gonna close it down. So I called him and I said, "What are you doing? You know, what are you doing?" And they're like, "This is a story. We're losing money. We're closing it down on Friday." I said, "What are you doing with the customers?" He said, "We're telling them to go someplace else." I said, "Hold the phone. I'll be right there." So I zipped down there. The place was about thirty miles away, and by Friday he had a good attorney. We worked out a deal that I gave him twenty-five percent of the gross profit from the company for every, you know, of uh, 25% of the gross profit from every customer that I kept. And it turned out nice. to be a very fair deal. Um, you know, I think in, this was a smaller company, but, you know, they got a good chunk of money for the customers that I retained. And, you know, it was a great way for me to pay for it. I set that oil company up in our computer system as a salesman. And at the end of every month, I did the printout, you know, it showed me what the gross profit was for the month. Drew a line times twenty five percent and wrote him a check. That's so smart. That is a win win for everybody. It, it limits so, everybody's risk. Uh, I love that because here's yeah. a here's a a couple of kids that were they were just going to shut it down. They didn't know what they were doing. 
and you basically uh, gave them, you know, 25% of something. That's smart. Yeah. I, the second time I used that, so here's another scenario. Uh, uh, it was a single owner of an oil company, but he was about 60 miles from my uh, main base. And I knew, and it's out in the country, and I was like, I don't know any of his customers, and mostly farm accounts. Uh, I was willing to employ him, but if he got squirrely and quit, you know, and I paid him for those customers, then I don't have any connection to him, and I, I don't even know how to find half of them. So I agreed. I purchased his equipment, fair market value, which there wasn't much of. I gainfully employed him as a fair salary and as a bonus for the customers that we kept. I, again, gave him 25% of the gross profit for one year. So that was his, you know, goodwill in the business. And then uh, he actually worked for me until I sold the company, and he actually still works for the company that I – that I sold it to. So another good workable situation. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, you know, it just goes to show you that it's just a matter of being a little, uh, what's the word? A little, a little creative. creative. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I love where, that. And that's where we really help people out. I like to work with companies that have a value between one and 15 million. And uh, if you, you know, if you have a company in that value range, you, you know, you need a strong team of players with you, and if you're going to sell your business, you need somebody with a little bit of business acumen to help you get through that transaction. All right, so let me ask you this. If somebody is looking to sell their business, what kind of attorney should a buyer or a seller have? What's your thought on this? Oh, I, I got – oh, my gosh. It just makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Um, you need an attorney that has experience doing mergers and acquisitions or is a transactional attorney. I can mm. tell you two specifically horror stories where the owner brought their estate planning attorney to the table. And oh the one company, it was, you know, about a $2 million transaction. So nothing, you know, that, that huge, but the buyer, was the one his friend was an estate planning attorney and is younger. So they come to the table with like a hundred page purchase agreement. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then they're, they're fighting over little things. I mean, read the chapter in my book on attorneys. <laughs> I mean, you, when you go through be specific, you know, I had a, tra I had a trademark on a brand of lubricants. I used a okay. trademark attorney. You know, if you're going to get divorced, use a divorce attorney. Uh, there's a there's a need for estate planning attorneys, but if you're going to sell your business, get an attorney that um, you know is familiar with M and A transactions. And the other most important thing about working with that attorney is you, as a seller, are going to have to make some business decisions. That attorney is there to give you advice and protect you. But at the end of the day, he's not there to to take over that deal. And a lot of times that's what happens. I mean, you see some really sad situations where there's a good buyer and there's a good seller and the attorneys get involved and just blow the thing up. And the owners and the sellers end up with a huge, huge fees, attorney's fees because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And here's, here's my experience. And again, I'll, I'd love to get your opinion on this because most attorneys are risk averse. They are, as you said, they're there to protect you. Sometimes you have to make that decision. You have to say, okay, I'm willing to take this risk. 
I have been in a lot of M&A situations where an attorney says, you know, I'm not going to touch this. I wouldn't do this. And, and he's risk averse. He doesn't want to look bad if a deal goes south and, and all the other things. And so I've had, I've been in situations where an attorney says, Hey, I advised you against that. So I'm going to draw up a piece of paper that says I advised you against that. And you're going to sign off on it in case this thing goes bad. You're not going to be mad at me. And I've done that. I've signed off on a, on a decision because I felt it was the right decision, even though my attorney said, no, don't do it. Uh, and then on more, on more than one occasion, I've not listened to my attorney and it's come back and bite me <laughs> in the butt. Uh, and that's, you know, it's just part of the deal. Uh, you have to be willing to, to make that decision. And then on a lot of times, uh, a good M&A attorney, man, they can see stuff that you can't see. They are, uh, as you said, a transactional attorney can just help you think about different things that you may not be thinking. Because in some cases, back to what you said about being creative, in some cases, maybe it's not the money you get. Uh, it's not always about the money you get. Sometimes it's the the goodwill. Sometimes it's the... Um, the intellectual property. Sometimes it's it's different things that maybe you're not seeing the big picture, and somebody with that that second uh, set of eyes can come and and, and maybe guide you. So I love that love that uh, that yeah. suggestion of getting a transactional or an M or M A attorney might cost you a little bit more money, but man, it's totally worth yeah. It. But you know, if they do it right, you shouldn't have the near the hours involved because that's right. You know, you get attorneys start fighting back. You know, I mean, we bought a property management company, and my God, we went back and forth a whole day on on um, hazardous material. It's like it's a freaking property management company. There is no hazardous materials. Why are we worried about this? Right, and that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Sometimes you just got to step yeah. in and say. Okay, uh, let, let's play nice. This is ridiculous. All right, let me ask you this. What, in your opinion, is the number one deal killer in selling a company? Overvalued. Yes. I mean, if the company's overvalued, it's just, it's just a deal killer. Uh, so I'm a CVA, Certified Valuation Analyst. That's a national designation, and we do a ton of business valuations. And I even see other CVAs put some price tags on things that just it ruins the deal um I, one of the things that i really hang my hat on especially if it's a company that's got less than a million dollars a year in cash flow is is it a bankable deal so if i value your company at five million dollars can you go out and put it to a bank you know a traditional banking source and put a reasonable down payment down and pay for that company and and typically three to five years, that was always my triggering point. Um, if I could pay for the company in three to five years, it's going to be a bankable deal and, and you can get the deal done. Uh, if you get over, you know, you know what you, the higher up the food chain you get, the more you're getting into other multiples and you don't hang your hat on that bankability method as much. But, uh, but we really look at that hard is, is this a bankable deal? And I've even seen it in other valuators, um, work that they do the same thing uh sometimes when somebody's valuing a company they'll use what's called a discounted future cash flow method and that means they're they're putting some kind of growth rate on the company and they're valuing the future cash flow of the company and we had a situation last year where a evaluator used this method and came up with a value of 15 million dollars and we had told the buyer eight 
and the seller was originally comfortable with eight until somebody put the fifteen million in his head, and it just wasn't a bankable deal, and it and it never did get done. Yeah, yeah, so, and I think what happens is you hear these crazy multiples out there. Uh, Lyft just went public, and they're trading at you know they're trading at some funky multiple of future earnings. They're non-profitable. They're, they have virtually no assets, but that is because it's a Wall Street deal and people and they're playing with other people's money as opposed to playing with your money. And so when you yeah. hear a company that, hey, I'm, you know, again, like Lyft, or I remember when Yahoo was trading at 20 times expected earnings, this is back in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, that's great, but that's not real world stuff. That that is pie in the sky stuff, and and, and so yes. it's to me it's two different worlds because it's two different type of buyers, and so uh, yeah, this yeah. overvaluing Ooh. your 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 deal is a tremendous deal killer, and uh, and I like the fact that you suggest hey if I can take this deal to a regular bank and get it funded, we're probably in the right ballpark. Yeah, right. So, but here's another thing, Bert, that I think is really important for your listeners to pay attention to, is be careful if you're going to go the SBA process. So with the SBA, you can get a 10-year amortization schedule on, a, on when you're buying a business. But here's what happens. Bankers are out there to sell loans. You know, they want to loan you that money if they can get all the ratios to work. And I see situations where they'll get that debt service coverage ratio, which is, you know, um, it's a ratio of income – so every dollar worth of income, you got to every dollar worth of debt. And in my opinion, you want to see where you've got about a dollar eighty in income for every dollar worth of debt. That would be a one point eight on a debt service coverage ratio. Usually, a bank's minimum is one point two, one point two five. But they'll stretch that out the business, the value of that business over ten years, and say they get you to where you get a debt service coverage ratio of one point three. Well, that's it's a pass, right? You're good right. to go. Well, that's still a very leveraged number, and now you're going to be paying for that company for 10 years, and and that company was overpriced, but the banker sold the buyer the loan, and now the buyer stuck with that leveraged company for a long time, and that's where you see a lot of failures, or um, it's just something to really watch out for that you're not overpaying for the business. But that didn't kill the sale of the business. It got it done, but unfortunately – it strapped a buyer for a long time because he paid too much for it. Absolutely. All right. Um, listen, we are at a time. Terry, I want to say thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, Terry, if somebody wanted to connect with innovative business advisors, if they had some questions, what's the best website? Uh, our website is www.innovativeinnovativeba, boy apple for business advisors, uh, innovativeba.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my book, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, is on Amazon, or you can download a free, um, you can download an email version on Kindle for free. Uh, just search my name, or You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And Terry Lammers is spelled L-A-M-M-E-R-S, Terry, traditional spelling, T-E-R-R-Y. Terry Lammers, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thanks, Bert, and uh, uh, thanks to all your listeners for listening. You bet. Good stuff there from Terry Lammers about buying or selling your business, buying or selling a business. Anyway, 
You know what I mean. Listen, let's help everybody uh, learn more about how to value your business, how to buy a business. Let's share this episode with everybody we know. And as always, my friends, thank you for being here. We're created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.